Have you seen that film where he gets himself pregnant? <sighs> no. Okay. <laughs> Welcome back to There Will Be Movies. I am your host, Ben Phillips, and I am joined, as always, by Matthew Waters on a slightly less sweltering hot Sunday morning. Yeah, I'm into it. It's nice being able to sleep, to just go about your daily business. I Um, genuinely contemplated last night and said, do I want to sleep under the duvet tonight? (laughs) Yeah, such a weird luxury to have these days, but yeah, it's, it's nice. I'm on an emotional high as Portland made the playoffs, but by the time people hear this, we have likely exited the playoffs, so that's a weird little time-lapse there for you. <laughs> I guess fitting for this this movie? Yeah, like, time, what, what, what does time mean? But yeah, this is episode 35, and we are discussing Richard Leetlater's masterpiece, Boyhood. Mm-hmm. Sure, we'll call <laughs> yeah, it a no masterpiece. No we'll, we'll call it a masterpiece. I will. Just up front... I think I'm going to lose my movie review card forever for this because I have never disliked a film that is so liked more in my entire life. Apart from Mad Max. I feel Mad Max doesn't get 100 on Metacritic and, like, best indie film ever kind of stuff. Like, Mad Max's level of praise is lower than Boyhood's. Oh, I think I think Mad Max might have overtaken it in the turn of the decade. Boyhood I think... literally has a 100 on Metacritic. Yeah, but that's at the time. At no, the time still... Again. No, no, but like no one's reviewed Boyhood was, in the last couple of years. And it was the first the movie to ever debut to to initially get a one hundred on Metacritic. There are other films that have a hundred, but they got it after release. It, it went straight in at one hundred. Anyway, fine, Mad Max as well. Then um, the the bottom line is, I fucking hate Boyhood. What? <laughs> I'd really actively dislike it, like every part of it. I think there is nothing praiseworthy here whatsoever. Here we go. <laughs> Strap in. Is it too late to cancel this episode and do Interstellar instead? <laughs> hey, you want uh, your boyhood really badly. Here we this are. Is my, this is my second favourite movie of the decade. Oh my um, god. <laughs> okay. Uh, I utterly adore this movie. I think there are some things that are just so fascinating about this. I think Richard Linklater is a director just who has a fascinating command over time. And whilst... Whilst, like, people might argue that the Before Trilogy is a better handling of that in terms of, like, coming back every nine years to a single couple, I think just, like, I don't want to say that this movie is genius because it just decides to film a movie over 12 years because you've got lots of movies or lots of, like, things that do uh, the similar idea, like the 7-Up series uh, is obviously one of those things where, like, we keep revisiting real people in real life and talking about real political issues every seven years, Mm -hmm. whereas this is a manufactured kind of hermetic idea of how to do this thing but i think it's just a fascinating look into kind of improvising filmmaking as you kind of go along 12 years in terms of the fact that they can't have known where they were going to be when they eventually get to the end and just some of the things this movie picks up upon about growing up in kind of 21st century america is really interesting i I like the idea more than I like the finished product. Like, if you just said to me, oh, they filmed one scene a year for ten years, I'd be like, cool. Uh, You know, with the same actors, uh, you know, rather than casting ten different kids or, like, three different kids or whatever. 
and just claiming, oh, quite a growth spurt and facial change. You know, all of that. I'm the the part of me that loves a fucking gimmick, loves a one take movie, loves a whatever, whatever, whatever. I'm like, oh, really cool. I just, I really don't like the finished product and I don't agree it's well directed or I don't think it's actually that difficult to write. He said he wrote the whole film at the start and they just modified it slightly based on where the kid's headspace was year each year. Like, the kid didn't dictate the story. Like, they still had a story written and just like, he said like, oh, well, maybe like we move the camping trip up a bit because he's like more emotionally ready for this bit or whatever. But like, I... I'm sure the challenges of getting all these people together once a year for 10 years, especially as you have two quote-unquote proper actors in it who have schedules to work around, both of them, including one of them being on a TV show for quite a while. I'm not dismissing how difficult that was. I just, I think it was kind of overblown how, like, fluid the narrative was throughout the time. And I don't know, like, this feels like, like, it might as well be a documentary, and if it were, I wish it were about interesting people, is my takeaway from this. Because I don't think Mason is in any way an interesting or compelling child. I think the closest to an interesting person in this is the mother, who just goes through a sadly comical uh, amount of tragedy over the years and, you know, is barely keeping it together and whatnot. But I just, I think the kids go from being little shits to... I don't know, just awkward, that awkward age to then being, like, Sam basically just stops being a person and Mason just becomes a wanky little photography philosopher man who has so many problems. I don't know, I don't, I genuinely don't see what other people are seeing here. And I I am actually genuinely interested to hear your extended thoughts on it as we go through it, because, yeah. (laughs) I'm not saying that this movie, like, reflected my life or anything like that, it's just... It just, it's hard to explain. It's just, it it just put a spell over me in terms of just the rhythms of it. And whilst I can't say that uh, Elar Coltrane is like a compelling force. That's, that's is... the challenge here is like, you can't know how good of an actor this kid is going to grow up to be. All you can do is try and cast the best possible child actor. And like, that's difficult in of itself. Like, you can probably count the number of good, genuinely good child acting performances in major films on two hands. I don't think he's, like, a revelation, but he's a solid enough child actor. And then it just turns out uh, he didn't grow up to be a good actor, you know? Like, yeah. And I think in a world where, like, this kid is a fucking revelation and, like, a name to watch for the future, I would probably potentially have better things to say about it. Like, that's the thing. This lives and dies by how good the kid is, in my opinion. And I think that is a lot of people's issues with it, is that, like, whilst I'm not saying that people dislike the movie now, I do think that there are a lot of people whose take on the movie who were more lukewarm one at the time, because you have to remember metrics and algorithm, like, even if you've got 100, there's still going to be plenty of 8 out of 10s on that uh, on that kind of scale. I do think a lot of people are coming at it and going, like, the last hour is not as magical as the first hour. And whilst I'm inclined to agree, I do think the, the way they deploy Patricia Arquette and Ethan Hawke in relation to him makes it so much more interesting. Like, I know you're not completely sold on any other points in this movie, but I do think Ethan Hawke and Patricia Arquette are absolutely phenomenal in this. Like, I am... I think Arquette is good. I just, I wouldn't call this even a top five Ethan Hawke performance. Like, I've seen him do better than this. 
but the thing is, I just, I don't, I don't know. Maybe it's the arc or whatever it is, but I just love the the kind of carefree dad. And then there's that one year where he comes in and he's just the the most buttoned down suburban dad who's henpecked and I don't like this. But just... that, and that's my other thing. Like I don't, I don't know whether this is genuinely sexist or or whatever. But like, and I understand why it happened, and that's potentially a social comment. But he debuts as bad dad, or not great dad, and then just gets progressively better at being a dad, gets progressively better of a person. Meanwhile, the mum starts off, you know, a struggling but happy-ish single parent, and just kind of goes through it, and goes through it, and goes through it, and ends up having a massive breakdown. And it's like, I understand the reason he's able to enjoy, yeah, he's basically enjoying the, the freedom of not having the kids all the time. Being the visiting parent affords him the ability to, like, improve his situation. But I don't know, just some part of it grates me a bit where, like, this dad just gets a better and better and better person to the point he ends up being like, oh, let me give you some charity money at the end. And she's... Oh, or, or, even, or even to the point where, like, if only your mum had held on for a couple of years, like, she would have found the husband that she always wanted, rather than the parade of drunken arseholes. Yeah, and I'm like, I kind of, I wish I could see some of his trials and tribulations to see him, you know, stumbling along the way. It almost feels like a perfect incline, you know? Like, he's just, get he oh, he's just a nice man now, you know? And he, oh, he gets it now, and everything. And it's like, because he is the helicopter parent, he, you just sort of see him getting progressively nicer and better, but, but uh, whereas I, I see the mum like going through it, and and, and like that affords her a, the ability to do emotional acting, which you know I, I think that's why she gets an Oscar and he doesn't. Oh well, he didn't stand a chance against J.K. Simmons. Nobody that, did. But, that is the issue. But I would, yeah, I I guess I might toss him a nomination, but like I I don't think this is a like noteworthy before like in the canon of ethan hawke's career i would barely even mention this uh i w- i mean i would but then i'd mention all four of his his big link later performances i mean like my favorite performance of his is first reformed which is just an absolutely stunning performance that he should have been nominated for at the time we we are going to do our like regular little sections where we sum it up so what movies were nominated for best picture in 2014 up against boyhood well benjamin american sniper birdman Boyhood, Grand Budapest Hotel, Imitation Game, Selma, Theory of Everything, Whiplash. I would have given this to Whiplash, personally, uh, I mean, and we'll talk like, about that next week. <laughs> yes, Whiplash is my number two movie of 2014. It came so close to toppling Boyhood in like my end of year list. I think this is a really solid Oscar year. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, obviously, I think Imitation Game and Theory of Everything are these kind of like. Oscars pleasers, yes. <laughs> uh, but like the, I mean, like Birdman, I don't love it, but at least on a technical level, I can understand why you respect hey, it. You managed to talk it off the list when I had it on here, so you got your victory there. But see, that's the thing is, I was. <laughs> so let's. I I do want to dive into this a little bit. So the only reason I fought Birdman off this list was because I kind of like the idea of us never covering a Best Picture winner. <laughs> Such a weird rule to have. I know, but I just like the idea of us never covering a Best Picture. Also, we're going to. So. I know, because the film that should have won Best Picture this year did end up winning Best Picture. Uh-huh. But the thing is, I was in my mind, I was going like, well, well, 1917 wins the Best Picture. We will have got through an entire decade without touching on any of the, the Best you, Picture. Are you winners. saying we have to do 1917 now? No, okay. we don't have to do okay. 1917 okay, now. Cool. What a horrific movie that is. Um... <laughs> 
but like and so that's the reason why i fought birdman off the list and i think it would just be the inverse of this episode where you're sat there going like i love the gimmick i love everything surrounding it and i'm just like i don't think any of the performances are good i think the the story but they're is actually so- acting ben <laughs> this is just a fucking kid being a kid yeah but i find it so much more fascinating than birdman which is just like oh critics don't like my movies that's one scene of a two-hour movie it's the entire thing it's in it's a not. Redo, in the a critic doesn't even show up for like half of it you're letting one scene I'm not color your entire scene. opinion. In a, in a who did the entire thing is people not liking Babel. Fine. There's still Ed Norton coming in and acting his fucking socks off and, and Michael Keaton being like, I'm back. And like everything else going on in that movie. Um, speaking of, best director, uh, Inaratu wins for Birdman over uh, Linklater for Boyhood. Bennett Miller for Foxcatcher, how did he get a nom? Uh, Wes Anderson for Grand Budapest, and Morton Tildum for Imitation Game. I strongly agree Birdman is better directed than Boyhood. As a, as a, as a piece of filmmaking direction, I think that's irrefutable, personally. Like, sure, the the challenge like... of filming that, I think, is greater than... I, which, like, that's which the thing, not, I don't hard, feel a director touch on this. This feels oh, like anyone could have done this. Oh no, this feels so much like Linklater. If you've watched Linklater movies, this feels so <laughs> much the fingerprints of like Linklater. Okay, but I just feel he's literally just pointed a camera at them. I don't think there's anything fancy going on at all. I don't think there's any craft here. Like, There is no sense of style where I think I could be like, if I saw another of his movies that, without knowing it was him, I would be like, oh, that's the guy who did Boyhood. Like, there's none of that here. I think, but I think there is just in terms of the relationship the movie has. That's right. And the, but it's not because it's like there's l- little decisions in this movie. Like every single piece of pop culture that this movie picks oh, up. Oh, you picked the biggest song that came out that year ten times. Like whoop de doo. Anyone could do that. They didn't pick the best song. All right, the they, song that came out that year. They picked one of the biggest songs that came out that year. Every year, like yeah, Soldier Boy, Kings of Leon, fucking Coldplay, like. These are not hard decisions. But, I mean, just all the, the, the pop culture stuff, like, for filming it at the time, do you have the things that they're watching and having none of them have aged badly or poorly or not fully represent the year that they're in? I, I really don't think that's a difficult thing. I don't think that's worthy of praise. I think I could do that. I think you could do that. I think anyone could do that. Who has you, a think, you think that every single year you could pick something that anyone could watch it and go not only does this fully cement the time of place that this came out but also something that has not aged something that has not been yes. forgotten or anything easily i could get you five alternatives to each song they picked that would all feel fine i'm not going to do it off the top of my head obviously but i think we do this we make playlists for each year sure but i like, would just I go could... for the ones that like are less of a personal love and more of a like oh everyone knows this one yeah, but like, I mean, maybe the song choices came later. I just mean the little <laughs> things like we're going to go do filming at the Harry Potter book signing. Obviously, by the time okay, they do yeah, Harry Potter, yeah. but they see that way early on where they're reading a Harry Potter book in like 2002. Yeah, yeah they do. And, and then like they've got Dragon Ball on the TV and he's got all the Dragon Ball posters up in the room. And it's like, yeah. oh, that feels so much like what that kid would be watching in that point of time. And like, I'm not saying it's... I, do, I just think it's overpraise for something that like they had to do it and their choices were like barely do it or do it and they did it (laughs) you watch things that come out in certain years and you look at the soundtracks and you're like this has aged 
so poorly and doesn't feel like the movie feels representative of it but like the soundtrack all these kind of things they feel like just like thrown together kind of things like let's get the fifth biggest sixth biggest kind of thing whereas this feels people like the flaming lips aren't that expensive to uh like get their song choices for but i don't it just does feel like everything feels like what this kind of person will be listening to or but they're not even listening to it most and of they, the time, I mean, it's diegetic music. The Flaming Lips song is in the car. With okay, but they're not listening that. to Soldier Boy while they're going down the street. No, that is true. That One is of true. the kids, like the teens are listening to Kings of Leon in their car, but like, shock, you know, <laughs> spoilers, a lot of teens were listening to Kings of Leon in their car at this time. Like, and like, yeah, they didn't pick Sex on Fire or whatever, they picked, is it like Closer or, or Crawl or something, but like, it's probably the same it's album. because it's cheaper to Yeah, but to it's, it's the same album, like, it's not that... <laughs> I think the only the only song in the movie that is like a new discovery is Hero. And obviously a lot of them are really big. Like you've got I have to say I have to say I told you so about the hives, they've got Yellow by Coldplay, Crazy by Nile Barkley. And then there's a couple of bands where they do get like the second or third biggest song in an album, which are like as you say, like Vampire Weekend, it's Blake's Got a New Face, which is not the biggest song in that album. I just you have to do this and I think I you could have presented alternate songs and I don't think it would have broken it at all. Like, I know there's this idea that, like, oh, the, the exact ten songs they picked or how many there actually are are perfect and if you changed even one of them it would bro- break it, but I don't think that's true. I think I could present you an alternate cut with different songs and it would work equally as well. I don't think it would break the movie to have alternate songs in it. I just, just I just don't think that that is something that I'll oh, link later's a master. He picked ten songs that were popular. I or, think... or indicative of the time, you know. I just think um, Linklater has so, like, multiple times shown he has a good command of these kind of things. Like, something like Days and Confused feels like it fully understands the era that it's based in. The before movies all fully understand what they're going for. Even School of Rock has aged into this, like, wonderful kind of, like, throwback to 2000s, early 2000s. I guess... Like I mean, like School of Rock is one. Of, I feel like School of Rock is one of the most those. School of Rock is great. Of, I just yeah, exactly. But that's on the strength of Jack Black and some kids. Um, Why are you just diminishing Richard Linklater? I don't think he's very director? good. <laughs> I don't think he's got any flair or style or like panache. Um, like I, I will admit, he is a director who is ex- exceedingly hit and miss. I and... just I think he's that guy. I think he's just a point point camera stuff director as opposed to uh, like his films he crafts are like wholly his own and like so stylish and this that and the other i think it's i don't he's not a flashy director what he is is an emotional director and if you get on that wavelength of like what he's trying to do well then i'm not sure where the emotions are supposed to be coming from in this movie other than sympathy for live that's my other thing i've seen all these reviews that are like oh it's such an emotional powerhouse it's such a perfect wielder of emotion am i supposed to emotionally connect to mason genuinely i know i sound like an android asking how does feel right now but like i don't i'm genuinely flummoxed as to where the feeling is supposed to come from how am i supposed to feel anything about ethan hawk in this i think i mean obviously the emotional center point of this movie is supposed to be live like i burst into tears when she is sat at that table and she's kind of like and being asked questions by her daughter about like when they're gonna when they're gonna go back what they're gonna do and she just bursts into tears because she doesn't know like where she's gonna go on from her life after she's left her first shitty abusive husband 
Yeah, like the kids being shitty about her taking them out of bad situations. It's like, oh, that's rough. Kids are shitty, aren't they? Yeah, I don't know. I just, I find I these characters, the other than potentially Liv, who has to take a backseat to Mason because the film is about Mason, I find most of them just thoroughly uninteresting. See, because I disagree there that the movie's... I mean, yes, the movie is about Mason. It's about his boyhood. But, I mean, and to get into a scene that I think doesn't 100% work, but is there just to reinforce the themes of the entire movie, is they're at the restaurant at the end, and the guy who helped replace the pipe comes by and goes like, oh, the words you said to me have improved my life magnificently. I'm now really good. That is the theme of the movie, is the little ways in which, as you grow older, you touch people's lives, and maybe you never see them again. And I think it's not very well written, just from a point of view of... Oh, that's the one. That's the one. It's not the one. Oh, there is okay. a bigger one that I think works less well. But is it the it kids much... in the house? Uh, yes, it is kids in okay, the house. Okay, cool. <laughs> We're on the same wavelength there. The single worst thing in the movie is the oh, kids yeah. in the house. Those, they found the two worst teenage actors I think I could possibly <laughs> imagine. <laughs> but yeah, the scene the scene just kind of comes off a little bit white savory. I guess, yeah. But, like, but I... again, I understand why it's there. Because it's like it's all about these are the little lives you touch along the way. Here's how your lives intersect with this massive overwhelming quilt of the human experience and yeah. like i'm glad they don't do more of it i'm glad they don't bring back the the two children that they lived with with the abusive husband but it's not like they meet them growing up it's not like one of them turns out to be his college roommate or anything yeah, like that yeah, which yeah. i think that would get into, <laughs> that would get into a point of like just too much coincidence going on and all these other things but i just i like the feel like the community feel by the end of the movie when they're doing the going away party for mason and just this random quilt of people that you've seen across the movie are there and and here's a drunk uncle <laughs> and here's a drunk uncle who shows up randomly at the end <laughs> it's, a, it's a potentially homophobic drunk uncle yeah sorry i i have derailed this by just no it's fine i think i think this movie more than anything doesn't really coalesce to a like beat by beat plot just discussion of it i think like sure. if we if we take it as like little bits and pieces but before we do yeah. that into like the meat of the movie how did this movie do opening weekend well opening benjamin weekend. it eventually makes somewhere between 48 and 57 million dollars of its eventual 48 million dollars it makes at the uk box office the weekend it came out 569,000 we'll round that up to 500 debuts at number seven uh just ahead of maleficent in its seventh week <laughs> three ahead of chef in its third week but below Jump Street in its sixth, the, the top movie that week was uh, Transformers Age of Extinction, which makes $20 million. Sad. Uh, How to Train Your Dragon 2, $13 million. Mrs. Brown's Boys, the movie. Sorry, the Mrs. Brown's Boys movie. I, I should enunciate it as it was intended. Is number three somehow. Fault in Our Stars, Begin Again, 22 Jump Street, Boyhood, Maleficent, Tammy, and Chef are the top ten of that weekend. So Boyhood is only the fourth highest debuting movie of that weekend. But, you know, Transformers, House Train Your Dragon, pretty big. Um, yeah, I'm, so I'm guessing you didn't see this in cinema. No, no I didn't. So I, I quit out of work one day and basically it was just like, I need to see How to Train Dragon 2 and Boyhood, I'm going to double build these movies. <laughs> okay. Yeah, in an evening. So finishing work at 6.30 in the evening, rocking straight up to the cinema, watching... The breezy How to Eat Dragon, which is about 90 minutes long, if I recall. Yep. 90 also, enjoyable minutes. 
but also feels so much longer than this movie when I watched it in the cinema. I don't know how that's possible, but go on. It felt so much longer than this movie. I like this movie breezed by when I watched it in the cinema. I was enraptured for the two hours and forty six well, minutes. Well when I time. watched it last night, every ten minutes or so I was checking how long was left and making a noise. I was like, How is there an hour left? He's an adult now, let him go. Sorry, go on. Yeah, and I loved it then, and I still love it now. Watched it with my partner for the first time, and she came away utterly charmed by everything about it. I, I do think it's interesting that this movie comes out the same year as Girlhood, the Celine Sciamma movie about <laughs> black teens in, in France. I think a movie that also has a very firm tie to what it means to be a teenager in this kind of age but obviously it doesn't come with the gimmick but just as emotionally raw and just emotionally honest another really really good movie but obviously you're coming out in the year where i mean it, i think the most interesting thing is i i feel like the the english translation of it is trying to skate off of boyhood because the actual french name is band mm-hmm. which is basically like gang of girls or girl gang girl gang 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 yeah so calling it girlhood feels like such a misnomer because it's obviously about boyhood yes he's lower middle class really in terms of like his upbringing and then girlhood obviously it's someone who is more in uh, a poverty ring like has less educational prospects whereas boyhood is like there's no apart from a couple of mentions of like will we be able to afford the house what are we gonna do going forward blah 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 blah. Mm. like there's not like a they're like a step above white trash (laughs) there's not a lot of pressure like when you get to the point where he's off to college and stuff like that there's no hand wringing about like will he afford it and it's like oh he gets a scholarship in like a throwaway line and stuff like that and Mm -hmm. it does feel like as universal as some people try to claim this movie is it kind of isn't because his life is apart from moments of hardship which are uh, related to like his mother's poor choices or at least the men that she she decides to to be with uh, ending up to reveal themselves as incredibly shitty there isn't a lot that feels like it gets in the way of his progression no it, that's the thing i think he's kept sheltered from a lot of it in a lot of ways like maybe it is having an emotional effect hearing people shouting in the next room or whatever and like you know middle husband Maybe him smashing stuff in front of them has some kind of internalized trauma, but there's no evidence of it later. Like, I don't think that informs him being like, people are zombies, man. <laughs> like, yeah, I don't know. I think that's another part of it is that, like, the kid almost feels separate from what's going on mm. at times. And, but I mean, like, that, that, yeah, the whole early stretch of this movie, kind of like from 2002 through to the divorce with Bill, it very much is like this child who is just watching things going on around him yeah and i think i'm probably more on board with the first section here than i am with the rest of it i do think it's a little like i don't want to call bill like comically abusive because that would probably be dismissive of some people who are even worse than him but it does feel a little bit like should I be subtle about the abuse and like oh no 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 throw things at the children (laughs) I, i i do think it is not a problem with the movie but just a like if this was done as a tv show and mm. you got a 10 episode mini series every year yeah devoted to like the growth of this boy and stuff like that and like because i mean that is fundamentally what it's going for like you can probably um, would it, fit my 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 theory that all long films should actually just be tv shows so <laughs> but that's the last thing is like you can you can say this movie is special or whatever it is but in reality it's doing a lot of the same things that a tv show does it's just we don't have a lot of tv shows that 
are engaging with a child growing up quite as brazenly as this like quite often when you have tv shows about children you're casting or, or teenagers you're casting people who are older than teenagers so they don't appreciably grow older um as the show goes on or it's about a family and you're not focusing necessarily on the children you're focusing on kind of everyone but mm. this feels like what if we took the structure of like a sitcom with a, a nuclear family of 2.5 children and actually watch them grow up in real time with a focus on the children well, I, yeah i do feel a lot of shows run up against this problem of like either it's supposed to be the same time but the kids are growing older and we're having to try and pretend they're not or we've done a time jump or or like we haven't but like we've had to pretend we have you know just a problem with like i don't buy the kid would be that much older in only two years or whatever yeah I whereas think, I this think... is like irrefutably like, this is what the kid looked like fucking sue me that he looks way older one year to the next you know yeah, like i think i think it's like lost is probably the quintessential version of this where the show literally had to boot the kid off the show because he was growing too old too fast <laughs> yeah like his and voice show... dropped and stuff yeah didn't it? and the show was supposed to be taken within the span of about three months exactly like, it's yeah, a lot yeah. easier for something like a malcolm in the middle or just a whole swathe of tv shows about families or sitcoms particularly where they do outnumbered the kids get less cute get more aware so it's less charming when they're just but, improvising but even then they're doing less episodes a year so yeah, it's still yeah. jarring when they come back off season break whereas with the yeah. american sitcom model every single year they're doing 22 episodes so for half a year they're probably filming what they look like and so the growth spurts are less jarring unless mm. they come back for the summer and they've like grown six feet the, or... ki- the kid and two and a half men got <laughs> enormous one year and i was like oh god what happened to you but yeah like i that part is i think is actually genuinely like you're sort of like looking forward to like what's he gonna look like this year kind of thing but yeah so the movie starts in 2002 the entire thing is set in texas but it's all like everything in the early stages is kind of setting up little pieces yeah. for going forward like we get the first of olivia patricia arquette's like awful boyfriends when, oh, like... what a dick this one is what a, what a little fucking bitch he is that like oh what do you mean we can't go out well i i'm not coming in they're expecting me i'll go out and then come back like fuck off yeah and then i, I just like when they're <laughs> sat there in their chairs having a beer having this massive like blowout argument it's like yeah. Oh, yeah. She's, she needs to go away um i think I, I know you're going to disagree, but I think Laurel I Link Later is really charming and very well equipped to portray the annoying old. As a sister. little brat, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. She is great in this she, early stretch. Yeah, yeah, she is. I just think she just fades away as she gets older. She seems reluctant to be in it, and I think the actress is. I, well, I don't know how much she acts. She's in some stuff, but like she said, she kind of regrets being in it. But I think she just kind of becomes a bit of a wallflower and like her toast at the end when she just says good luck with like a little thumbs up it's like yeah that feels apropos of what has happened to this character just fading out of the story like let's send her off to college one year or whatever i do think it feels like obviously i'm not going to try and argue that this movie has got like a strong handle on samantha Mm. as like a character but i do like her kind of like contrasting plot line as it goes through Yeah. yeah yeah And, like, yeah, as you say, like, her being the little kid that won't stop singing Britney Spears and whatever else and, like, making all this noise and then the second mum comes in, she cries and pretends Mason threw things at her and the mum believes her. Like, all of that feels very true to life. And, like, yeah, like I said, I I think this first stretch is the bit where I'm like, okay, 
you might have something here. Yeah. And, like, seeing them reading Harry Potter, as you said, in bed, and, like, I wouldn't at any point say that Liv is struggling to parent them. Maybe some of the time with Bill, she's more focused on her studies and is deferring to him or whatever, and he's being what he is. But, you know, it is nice to see her just being a, a wholeheartedly just great attentive mother who's sitting there reading to them and they're all cuddled up it's like this is cute and then to see them later at that midnight launch for the book it's like okay nice i see what you did there yeah i was i was in america for the launch of that book as well were you in austin i wasn't in austin i was in florida but like i had my copy of the half-blood prince is literally that copy of the half-blood prince oh with the shitty american front covers yeah <laughs> shitty american front covers and then the like weird whiplash when you're reading the book and they start like they literally localize it so that every mention of the philosopher's stone is the sorcerer's stone yeah and that's the first book where like it comes up within in about four books or whatever and you're like oh god what really this is what they're doing <laughs> i can't i think it was it might have been this one and the last one i i were the only ones i went and got at midnight i think i went with two of my friends to get it and it was just like oh my god there's so many people here and this is just a small town like tesco or whatever and yeah just sitting there and reading it immediately and never will there be a book as big as that again never never well has game of thrones killed itself enough to the point game of thrones has killed itself enough yeah like i doubt it will just be the hardcores going to read the next one yeah Yeah, so like we, as you said, like we get the introduction of her wanting to go back into education. Mm-hmm. Uh, she wants a better job, so she's attending the University of Houston, and they are moving down to Houston to to aid in that, and also they will get me closer to their grandparent, and which uh, will help with her going back to school because she can do some babysitting. Yes, and, and yeah. I do, I do enjoy the conversation. That's like, will Dad be able to find us? <laughs> he can call information, or he can call Grandma. He cannot call me. Samantha being like, I'll never, you know, saying goodbye to everything in the house and saying, I'll never like mommy as much for making us move. It's like, God. <laughs> and her love, just being like, her. you leave that horseshit attitude here, Missy. <laughs> I love her being on the phone and just like, oh, while they're working on, yeah. And then like Mason's friend calling and she's just like, go away. Mason's, go away. Mason's busy right now. I'm also on the other line. Everything and, I'm doing is more important than what Mason's doing. Yeah. And just that like she's sitting there on a pile of washing on the phone while mum and Mason are trying Crazy. to, yeah, trying to like cover over like years of lived inness and whatever. Yeah. She's a great, like horrible little girl kind of thing. Yeah. We could jump ahead now to 2004 where we get to meet Ethan Hawke as Mason Senior. I always find this so aggressive. Do you know anyone who is a junior? Who is a junior? As in, like, they oh, have the, same, right. their, the same, same name as their father. No, I think it's deeply arrogant. Oh, actually, what the fuck am I talking about? My brother. <laughs> <laughs> but there's a reason for this. Because my father doesn't go by that first name. Okay. He goes by his middle name. So, like, growing up, I was like, wait, what? What do you mean his name isn't this? So, yeah, I get that. But to actively call them blah, 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 junior... I think is a deep act of arrogance, personally. Yeah, I, I, mean, I, I think I have... that happens in this, like, because I also had a friend who, um, his first, like, again, that he and his father and his father's father went by their middle names and they all had the same first name. So no one actually went by that first name. So that feels like a, this is a weird 
British tradition type thing, but yeah, the big the big American junior type thing. I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> Why not just flip them? Have the same middle name. There you go. That's that was my argument, but like, because I, I have the same middle name as my grandfather. Like, yeah, I am named yeah, yeah. Very, very common. A lot of people do this, but uh, yeah, the, this big American practice where they call them blah 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 junior and they have to go by that, or you know, he goes by Mason Junior, but like getting called MJ and stuff like that. And there are kids that just get called Junior. And, like, there's a basketball player who called his son Deuce or whatever. Like, you know, like, you're saying he's the second you? Like, what's what's happening here? Yeah, deeply weird to me. Don't understand it. And you get the, the third as well. And... Yeah, I will I will say my my father and my brother have the same initials. Mm-hmm. And they have both had the annoying habit of asking for emails to be spent with their initials. So just, yep. like, you get a letter and it would arrive and be JCP and be like... Yeah, my, my brother, father and mother all have the first initial and last name. <laughs> So when it would be like, oh, we need blah, blah. And it's like, which one? And it's like, ah, what a hilarious situation we all could have seen coming and avoided. <laughs> <laughs> but no. <laughs> but yeah, so we get introduced to Ethan Hawke, Mason Senior, who is like the fun dad, but obviously they start to see that he's a little bit like, he's been in Alaska for a year and a half and hasn't seen the kids in all that time. Mm. He smells of, is it supposed to be weed or cigarette smoke? That he I think it's of? cigarettes because he says about in that, one of the upcoming ones, he says, you know how hard it was for Dad to quit smoking? And I don't think he would have... I don't think people talk about how they have to quit smoking weed, you know? Yeah. They talk about having to quit smoking cigarettes, but yeah. But yeah, you know, like, he takes some bowling and, like, that little... I think we have all either been a part of this dispute or have awkwardly been the friend taken bowling by someone's dad who does this to their kid or whatever. You know, the whole... Mason wants the gutters. And and he's like, no, 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 that's, you know, that's pointless and, and you won't have earned it. It's like, but the kid isn't enjoying himself, so think about it. And, like, I do like that he does later say, like, I'm going to get better at stuff like that. Like, he's not presented yeah. as, look at this dickhead. Yeah, like, he's trying to teach a life lesson. Obviously, like, I do believe the life doesn't give you bumpers has become a bit mimetic yeah. after this movie. <laughs> um, and like, as, like, a point of, like, what the movie's going about, even though... Mason's life does feel like it has bumpers at some points in the movie, but then like obviously they do circle back around and go like he's still a kid, he still needs to enjoy his life somewhat, and if that's something that's going to help him enjoy his life, then yeah, I I just I vividly remember going bowling with my friend and his dad told him it wasn't bumpers, it was you know they have those metal things that it's like you sit the ball on it and point it kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, it was one of those, and and my friend wanted to use that, and he was like, "Well, if we're gonna do that, we might as well just go home and like lay on bed or whatever." And I was like, "What?" Um, I mean, I yeah, just that, like that kids and... for fun, yeah, like, just to go like, I, I don't care now about bowling. I'm just gonna use this thing yeah. that means the ball goes less fast. Yeah, like I think there is, I think it is a dad thing. I think there is too much emphasis on winning and earning, and there's not enough emphasis on the kid is supposed to just be having some fucking fun, like. You've paid for him to have fun, not to learn a hard lesson and not enjoy himself. And he's, he's also imparting his political beliefs on them, which we'll see called back later. But I don't know. Like, I guess Mason Sr. is just kind of presented as... He's not a deadbeat dad. He's kind of deadbeat adjacent, almost. Um, yeah, where, like he's, where... he's trying to better himself, and you can see that he is trying to improve. Yeah. It's just all of that improvement is like, I still want to live the life that I want to lead, and I can't do that with kids yeah and I, I do like that there is that awareness that it's not that over the years he learns to not be like 
don't use the the bumpers it's like in like within half an hour he realizes he he fucked that one up like that that's a nice level of self-awareness but yeah like and talking to because he's supposed to drop them back off at the grandmother's rather than directly to live like, i don't know if live because he doesn't even know where where live lives um mm. And they're like, oh, you know, he's like, oh, you guys know where she lives, right? Yeah. And like, you know, she wants that intermediary between them. She wants a buffer. Um, so he's sort of overstepping his bounds there. But when they're talking, he says to her, it must be nice you having them here in Houston. And like the way he emphasizes that you, you know, like they're far away from me. This isn't convenient for me, but it must be great that you get to see them kind of thing. Yeah. Like, um, I think I think he's got this like rosy eyed. He wants the kids for the fun parts. Or that like, he only gets to see them for the fun parts, and so it does create this like rose-tinted glasses view of like growing up with them. I don't think at any point he sees them as an inconvenience. No, but, I mean, and, I think, and he's like, proud of them, and he introduces them to people at various points. But yeah. like, yeah, I, I do think he's like because he says at the end how like you know if she just waited, I would have become that or whatever. But like, you know, maybe they they had him too young, and like he just wasn't emotionally ready for it. But I don't think he's. I mean, that's the. That's the thing. We don't know what happens between the years. We don't know what happened before the years. So, and obviously something has happened that they are not living together, that they are divorced. But, I don't know. He's presented more as just, like, he's not quite got it together more than, like, he's actively a bad parent. Like, the stuff, like, he didn't get them home in time to have done their homework. He potentially didn't give them enough food. Like, these sorts of things from just not being there. Oh, sure. yeah, like, he, like, the mother has to do the things to actually, like, raise the kids properly mm-hmm. and, like, healthily and stuff like that. But the scene of him sat on the floor and he's got both Mason and Samantha talking across him about different topics and he's able to keep up with both of them at the same time yeah. is really charming and shows that he is a good, attentive parent. It's just maybe not the things that, like... The day-to-day. <laughs> yeah, the, to keep them alive... He's maybe less equipped to do that, but in the actually well, like, engaging with them as people and like like knowing that he's engaged with mm. what they're interested. In. Oh, isn't this the stereotype of like the heteronormative family that like mum has to be the nag, has to be the bad cop, has to do the like day to day things, and I, dad I, gets to just swoop in and be adored by the children wanting to impress him, kind of thing. And I do think it's a completely the level of the movie is that it is like I think it's internally it feels like it's rebelling against heteronormativity. Mm-hmm. in some ways and to the extent that i don't know if you mentioned this but eli coltrane now uses they them pronouns oh, okay which does feel like something that the movie is kind of getting at like if they are sculpting the performance around the the actor that they've hired yep. then like some of that non-binary nature does start to bleed through by yeah the, the stuff they get to later with jim yeah for sure i yeah i didn't know that was and like at no point does it judge live as a single parent and like at no point is there friction between i mean as children when they're being little shits there is but when they are older there is no friction really between them and the mother like he says like yeah i like my mom like you know and like it's wild that that feels like a refreshing thing to hear you know <laughs> yeah but um, it is it is interesting that like there are little moments where it does feel like the movie is being written by a straight white man Mm-hmm. who is unable to engage a bit like the stuff with the uncle near the end where the <laughs> uncle has to point out that he's straight yeah he's 18 like, he's graduating he's straight woo like, oh, yeah and, and as i said the worst scene in the movie is that scene with the teenage boys where they're talking about like sex and... and like you know it feels like i don't know 
I guess that feels more like a stereotype of something that happens than something that actually happens. I mean, I've definitely been engaged in similar conversations to that, but none of them felt quite as bravado masculine as that one. It feels... It feels more cliche than true to life. Um, There are always the people who are like, oh, I've I've done this with a girl, I've done that, Uh, she goes to a different school. That is, of course, 100% accurate, but the degree to which it goes on and is piled on feels a little bit more like 40-year-old white man writing this for children to act than... I I just do like that like the movie isn't engaging with it because I don't think the movie's particularly interested in it, but just you can see all these seeds of hmm. just different things that more interesting views on gender and sex and stuff like that are like yeah. bristling under the surface of the movie. And that's one of the things that I do quite enjoy watching. Whereas it does feel like, I mean, I'm not going to put any accolades at this movie's feet for doing it, but it does feel like this kind of sea change is on the air and even though this movie is being written by someone whose boyhood was 20 years in the past it kind of can't avoid the fact that this generation who are growing up as being like uh being this age in this time period are grappling with their identity and sexuality and all these different things yeah um being presented more options than were ever available and exactly and even though they are they are making this movie which is ostensibly about a straight white guy you can see that they're having to grapple with these things that are happening and I would be fascinated to see if you did a movie about someone who was born in 2002 Mm. and what kind of thing you're doing if you charted their growth up to the age of 2000 up to 2020 or whatever Mm. yeah that's interesting I I did read I read this more as like Jim's issues and the kind of guy that Jim is than I did anything to do with mason but you know getting that context that yeah that is interesting speaking of bad f- <laughs> foster parents step parents whatever you want to yes. call it <laughs> yeah we meet we meet bill because he is the professor of olivia at school which i know it's not quite as skeevy as like if they were like she was actually college aged, but just the idea of someone sleeping with a professor is i awful. do like that she then goes on to do this herself though yes yes <laughs> Like, I don't know if that's supposed to be a a deliberate choice that, you know, this leads to that. That feels like a cliche. The, the professor being like, oh, well, she's older, so it's fine for me to bang a student. It's, like, it's not, though, is it? Because <laughs> it's about the power dynamic more than it's about the age. Well, yes. Yeah. And obviously the power dynamic is the thing that starts to break over the marriage and stuff like that, which is... Uh... Yep. The worst part of it is like I like that you get this one scene, and this this is what I like about the movie is you get the one scene of Mason watching Olivia talking to Bill, mm-hmm. and he kind of like backs out the room and does the little head tilt, head tilt, and then you cut to a year later and yeah. they're returning from their honeymoon or like they're playing the and, uh, and being like we should get our kids together, and then going to a scene where they are all together, yeah, yeah. and like this is something I've grappled with in general is. So, like, the Witcher TV show did a big timey-wimey thing, and it confused the hell out of a lot of people, because they don't they don't make it plain. They don't put... They did, they did a Dunkirk. I haven't seen Dunkirk. Uh, they, they don't put the years on the screen, they don't say 20 years earlier, 10 years later, any of that. And it is a genuine... I don't think audiences do need to be spoon-fed, and there is something about, like, oh, I get it, it's, it's actually not the present, and, like, trying to put the timeline together for yourself, all of that, but then at the same time, some part of me does kind of wish there were years on the screen, but then 
most of the time it is very clear when there has been a year change, but there were one or two of these where I was like, oh, we've moved forward a year, haven't we? Um, I think it's because, like, there's that point where he isn't aging. He looks mostly the same, yeah. Like, I think when they move, I, I think it's like 2003 and 2004, probably 2002 to 2004, I barely noticed that the years had changed. Like, the, the, the initial argument is 2002, then moving is 2003, and then being in the new town and Mason Senior coming is 2004. I was like, oh. We've moved ahead two years, okay. Yeah, like, and the, the early sections of the movie feel so much more like little tiny short stories. It's yeah. later on, like this 2005, 2006, 2007 is the first mini yeah. arc that the movie has. Yeah, really. and I, I do think it is it is down to the, the actor has not visibly aged as much that makes it like harder to tell. And, you know, again, like I don't think you do need to spoon feed an audience and I think you can tell that story through other means. Like a lot of shows use a slightly different visual palette when they're changing times. Like, oh, I know this is the past because it's bluer or something like that. You know, that kind of thing. And they they go for that here with the music and and the haircuts and stuff like that. But there are some of them where it's a little bit less obvious where I was like, oh, shit, okay, I didn't yeah, even register. Yeah, maybe if you, didn't recognize, if you don't recognise the song that they're introduced the section with, you might not. <laughs> That's That could be a massive problem throughout this movie, but I would hope enough of them are like, oh, yeah, yeah, I know this. Yeah, and we will be talking about another movie later on this year, which also got a critical lambasting for a perceived lack of clarity in the way it told its story, which I completely disagree with, and I think people who say that are dumb, but we'll get to that when we get to it. Okay, I think I know which one you mean, but... (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so this, this little mini arc now is... Lots of little fun moments where it feels like life is going all right. Like this is where they go to the Harry Potter signing, mm-hmm. and poor Randy being forced to dress up like Draco, uh, like <laughs> on the nose. <laughs> yeah, and like it, this feels like they're kind of crossing off. They're building in the background, obviously, the entire time that their new father Bill has a drinking problem, mm. where he goes to the liquor store every weekend and picks up a bottle of liquor. Like, just an obscene amount. Just just in case we have people over. He always says that, and we never do. (laughs) Yeah, And And they're building in that, like, there's a subtler edge to him. Like, when they're out at the the dinner together and, you know, taking Randy's little, like, magic eight ball or that 20 questions thing, whatever it is, and, like, being a little bit overly stern considering that they're out for dinner about, like, oh, you were supposed to work on that science project while I was away. And yeah, being and, hypercritical and, of Randy when they're playing golf, like these kinds of things, like it's a and more then, subtle. And then just the way the way he reacts when like he doesn't get that final putt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's yeah. just like, there Burr. is this edge to him. Yeah, yeah. Um, I do like them arguing about Grievous <laughs> and stuff like that. It's like, mm, okay. <laughs> I, I did like the little Star Wars conversations because obviously, like after the divorce, they do have the the camping trip where yeah. Mason and Mason Senior are talking about like they'll <laughs> never set a movie after Episode Six. Like, yeah, there's nothing, there's so, nothing beyond that. What are they going to do? Yeah, the (laughs) according yeah according to Ethan Hawke, the only improvised scene in the movie. We were watching this last night, and Sass, I think, potentially liked it even less than I did. She said that scene where he's giving his thoughts about like when they would have to uh, do a new Star Wars thing are the only time she enjoyed his acting, and I was like, well, that's because he wasn't acting, (laughs) and she was like, oh, okay. But yeah, yeah, no, but I, I do like those little threads that they pick up year to year kind of thing or, or 
on two year stretches or whatever but yeah like they, they nail some things that are in the critical conversation like that is something that two generations can share because Ethan yes. is presumably someone who would have grown up with the original movies and... and is like not fully on board with the new ones but his kid likes them and like hey we have a bridge here we can talk about it and I'm willing to put up with them to talk to him about Star Wars yeah. you know? um, and, but like we just get more good dead Mason senior stuff because like obviously uh, Mason and Samantha get told off for not finishing their chores before their dad shows up Mm. Um, but then they get to enjoy like an, they say weekend, but it feels less like a weekend because almost like twenty four hours with their dad. Yeah, I think um, it's like a long day, and then they sleep over, and then I think they'll be dropped back in the morning, kind of. Yeah, yeah, but they go to a Houston Astros game. They have a, a like an in depth conversation in the car where Mason Senior is just like, "You guys cannot cut me out of your conversations. I want to be engaged in your life." And yes. he does. It. I, I do really love when he does the extended little bit about like, like <laughs> oh, Blah oh, broke up friend. with Blah and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> yeah 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 and Samantha's just like I mean we need to let it be natural like we don't see you all that often and you need to let it come out but it's just like he is again learning how to approach his kids he wants to have this relationship be a hundred percent like where he wants to be all the time and they're just like we see you once every two weeks yeah, we're yeah. shy about this stuff I do like that Mason calls him on it he's like well you don't tell us stuff he's like okay. No, yeah, fair, fair, fair. And I also like, you know, it, it's a very easy contrast, but coming off the back of Bill calls it her silly little art project or whatever, it's like, oh, I see you did that, but you haven't done your chores. And then Mason Senior is like fully in, he's like, oh, tell me about your art. And I didn't even like know that. you're into abstract art. I'm not, they make me. Okay, cool. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, but just like that very easy contrast to do where one dismisses it and the other wants to know about it. Yeah, and then, like, obviously, they have this like, nice weekend. They get to stay with Mason Senior's housemate, who Jimmy, seems, Jimmy, who seems even more down in his luck than than Mason does. Yeah, I like that he lives in this shitty little like shared apartment with another dude bro who is like not got his shit together. It's like, dude, you were supposed to clean up while we were out. And I like that he comes back at the very end and like has that genuine like shit as that Mason, and it's like. I don't know if he genuinely hadn't seen that actor between that scene and that scene, or what, but yeah, that came across Again, as... it's, it's those moments that that make the movie feel a little bit transcendent to me, that, like, just the ways that you cross paths with these people, and you don't see them for six or seven years, like, and I know on the surface it can feel obvious that this is the kind of thing, but mm. the fact that I know the movie just nails those little moments, apart from the one that I've already mentioned, mm. like, just just warms my heart when i watch this movie but yeah and then we get bill's first big faux pas as a parent where he just shaves <laughs> off mason's hair and says he looks like a little girl and stuff yes <sighs> well he did look like a little girl with his long hair that's his point yeah um yeah so i guess Again, planting some seeds of that as well but yeah like but yeah just forcing that on him and like that he's out of control and he's trying to enforce that control um, yeah like he isn't like i assume the way the movie talks that neither uh, olivia or bill have adopted the other parents children so like they are not any legal guardian over them yeah and, like there's a lot of little things like can you live can you tell samantha not to talk to me like that in front of the other kids and stuff like that and him just you know him just pottering about the house with his hidden stash and just sort of criticizing them all on their chores it's like do you do any chores i mean i know there are parents that feel the kids have to do the chores because you know i'm providing for this and that 
so I can sit back and make them do chores. But to me, it's sort of like, I mean, what do you do around here, dude? Like, other than get drunk and criticise everyone? Like... Yeah, I do. The first time you see him pouring the drink, though, with the obscene amount of liquor, mm. followed by the tiniest amount of Sprite. Yeah, and then he hides it in a cupboard, you know, up high, behind several bottles, and then the next year he just brings the fucking giant bottle to the table and openly pours in front of them. It's like, jeez, okay. Going to, I'm going to enjoy a drink with my dinner. Does anyone have any complaints about that? Oh, God, what a dick. <laughs> yeah, he's a huge dick. And obviously, I think because the movie is being sketched in these little 10 to 15 minute chunks at this point obviously by the end the the runtime on each year begins to get a bit longer as I think that would be another smaller complaint I have is I kind of wish they were more evenly balanced I understand why you do it is asking a child actor to do bigger scenes you know or whatever like I don't know I kind of wish they were slightly more evenly balanced not Maybe not exactly the same length, because that might be too harsh of a restriction, but... I think yeah. it's because the movie begins winding to a conclusion, and it's why I know you say that it's like written out and stuff like that, but it does feel like, almost in the way that it's structured, that they had the idea of how to end it very late on, and they needed to start winding up towards that conclusion. But I'm also sure it's probably more about child labour laws and... Well, the yeah, there is that, had, yeah. Had That's why they use the twins movies. a lot of the time when they're... Yes. Yeah. yeah, like, I, I fully understand that. I just, I feel the end sections are over long and it feels like they were like right finally we can fucking use them let's make another movie <laughs> yeah it also it also doesn't help that like even i think the sections are still the same amount of time they just come back to him more frequently like in the early stages every year is like a scene whereas by the time he's in high school there's like multiple there scenes are, yeah, a year yeah. in some ways it feels like because like when he graduates there, there, is... there is definitely a month's jump instead of a instead of a year's jump for yeah. sure um and i think there are actually more than one of them like going from he's about to graduate to he's graduated to he's now about to go off to college like that's three distinct times yeah but, and so like, it does make the later stages of the movie feel longer even though i think like, as you say it's only the last hour from when he's 15 which does track in terms of each hour is about a three-year three to four-year chunk of his life I- Yes, it just they f- it feels so they much do, longer. There are definitely, like... I feel those first like three to four scenes are like twenty minutes. Yeah, but I mean, maybe maybe it, maybe it is, and it's only really this section where they start to get longer. But the fact that like when you the last hour of the movie is from when he's fifteen onwards, really, I think they get comically longer. But anyway, Bill the alcoholic. Bill the alcoholic throws plates at his children, complains that he's been <laughs> squashed for dinner. And then Olivia. Well, before runs that away. though, like when 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 they come down the street and find oh yes live on the floor, Patricia Arquette's like guttural crying on the floor with him standing over her and then like telling the, them to get out or to to go through to the other room. Like that is pretty fucking haunting. Like it's like a banshee esque wail as she's on the floor and like they never show you him hitting her or anything like that. But like. Yeah, it just that that was a moment. I was like, oh god, and sh- and shooting it with the garage door like only halfway up and stuff like that. Yeah, it's it. This is what feels like the most dramatic stakes that the movie has, really. Yeah, is yeah. This, yeah. this is like where they're in danger because you know, not just throwing things at them and like 
even with all the precautions in the world, that felt a little bit, like, to show it, even with it being a fake glass, almost certainly, and all that, I was like, oh, jeez, you threw that quite close and quite hard. <laughs> that is one, and then, like, the car is another, but, yeah, and I, you know, when he says, Mason, you don't like me very much, do you? And he's like, that's okay, I don't like myself either. Like, a child is not equipped to respond to that statement at all. Yeah, um, yeah and then, like, taking all the phones from them, and... Or taking all their phones and then checking to make sure none of them have had communication. Like... And he believes his daughter, you know, daddy's little girl. Hates the son, hates the other two foster kids, but likes his own daughter, I guess. <laughs> yeah. And then, like, in the most, I, I feel like the most underwritten scummy thing he does is, like, he go, he drives the kids to the liquor store. Mm-hmm. And then asks, like, tries to withdraw his funds, finds out that Olivia's pulled all the money from presumably their joint account. Yeah. And then scribbles a check just in i don't think slurred handwriting is a thing but that's the verb i chose to use when making the note but just his just scrawled barely legible check and then and then presumably steals 500 dollars from this guy running the liquor store yep like because obviously like that check is going to clear because there's no money in the account or anything like that and he doesn't give a shit he just wanted 500 dollars for yeah I don't even know what he wanted five hundred dollars for. It's not like he spends it on anything. And refusing um, to get out of the car as well, just sitting there and just waving at the dude and everything. Like, yeah, yeah, and then putting the kids' lives in danger because yep. he wants to overtake another car because presumably he's been drinking by this point and yeah. just just like really driving home just how much of a shit he is. Yeah, and then like I think the sort of dark unspoken part of this is once Liv pulls Mason and Samantha out with thankfully not that much resistance. Like, she doesn't go into the house because that's dangerous. And, like, he doesn't stop the kids that much. His kids are still trapped with him, you know? And, like, who knows what went on there. Maybe it was a turning point for him and that made him wake the fuck up and he became a better father and whatnot. But maybe not. Maybe the exact opposite. Maybe he drunk even more after she walked out on him and, like, he potentially lost a load of money and stuff. But, yeah, like, leaving those two behind that, like, the kids seem to genuinely like. Like, they you know, why didn't we take them with us and stuff like that? And they didn't get to bring any of their stuff. They didn't get to say goodbye to anyone. And like, you know, I know that kids aren't, you know, fully emotionally developed and stuff and, and don't grasp full situations. But Samantha feels old enough to register that like, this was a bad thing I took you away from. He was throwing shit and endangering you all. For her to be like, giving her shit about the manner in which she extracted them from that life. Again, kids are kids. But yeah, I was like, Jesus, yeah. she she saved you from this situation, and this is your response. But yeah. hey. I mean, you, you do get the line about them, like her calling the mother and child protective services or whatever. Yeah. To like, like, oh, I've covered my bases, but I can't do anything because I didn't adopt them or anything like that. I can't help pull them out of this life. I was just yeah. his wife, and yeah. Again, so I guess yeah, potentially social workers get involved there and then force a change. But yeah, yeah. just that idea that like. The other two are left to watch them go, and they're stuck yeah. with him after that. Like, we also we also see an end to Mason playing video games at this section. Yeah, I guess. Like, yeah. like he doesn't play video games after this point. Like we've had Tony Hawk Pro Skater on the Game Boy. We've Halo, had Halo, yeah. and we've now and we've had Wii Sports. <laughs> oh, yeah, the Wii specifically Wii boxing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and just as I said before, like I adore this scene of her breaking down at the table, like explaining to Samantha, hmm. like I don't know what's going on. <laughs> Yeah. I don't understand. <laughs> Could you just for five minutes not be a little fucking shit? Yeah, in some <laughs> ways, like Samantha is being more annoying than 
when she was little. <laughs> not when she was little. I mean, like, she'd be more annoying than the little girl who's singing the song at the table. Like, who has to be pulled away to come, like, help mum with the food. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. 2008, we get... I do feel like every single section of this movie obviously features Olivia. Like, she is the kind of constant presence throughout the entire thing. Yeah. Um, it's Ethan Hawke who kind of makes these sporadic once every two or three year appearances. Like, I don't know if it's his schedule is busier than Patricia Arquette's. Like, I don't know if she's... Like, the TV show schedule and they filming over the summer means she's just more readily available to yeah. kind of do a week or two in Texas. Whereas Ethan Hawke was more of a quote-unquote movie star, especially in the middle of this movie, where they are trying to make him happen. Mm-hmm. Like we've talked about, like he obviously does Training Day in the middle of this. He does two before movies: Assault on Precinct Thirteen, Lord of War, just Brooklyn's finest. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Just a variety of like movies that probably make him harder to to shoot around. And so when he does come, I do like it as like a nice little break. Like it is a break from, as you said, like the oppressing darkness (laughs) with Olivia. Yeah, Liv just has just this very sad life. (laughs) It's like, oh. And then Mason shows up, and again they go bowling. Yeah, Mason gets to be the fun dad. Like, I mean, but, but he also does like what I like about this scene now is obviously he is trying to be engaged in his kids' relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, finds out Samantha has a boyfriend, and then yeah. gives them a talk on contraception. Stalk, stalks her on Facebook, by the way, <laughs> to find that out. Yeah, and then talking, giving them a sex talk. Like, what do you know about Sarah Palin's seventeen-year-old daughter? She's pregnant. That's right. And how are you not going to be pregnant? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think he becomes more Republican as the movie goes on, because obviously, <laughs> because obviously, like in this section, he is getting his kids to put up Obama cameras by... for Obama, stealing the McCain sign. Yes, <laughs> uh, but obviously, by the end of it, he settles down with kind of a yeah <laughs> the daughter of a stereotypical Texas couple yep. with guns and a giant farm and. The movie doesn't get into the politics of his wife. I presume she might be more of a moderate, but. Mm. Like looking at the family life, into like we go to church and all the rest of it, yeah, 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 it's a long yeah. way from his very there's, liberal values. There's a comment near the end from someone who says four more years, like, and I didn't quite know how to take that because they seem like they're mocking him almost. But <laughs> is it that like you're in amongst all these Republicans and you're quietly a Democrat? Like, ha ha ha. I don't yeah. know, but <laughs> yeah. It is interesting. I mean, I, and this very brief Obama scene, this one woman who has just the... I just want to kiss him. Like, mm-hmm. all over. It's just yeah, like, well, sorry, but Phoebe Waller-Bridge uh, ate your lunch on this idea, yeah. so... But yeah, I do like the sex talk. It it feels honest in yep. terms of the kids' reactions. I like that he's trying to be very open about it, and the kids just have absolutely none of it. Samantha has to go to a party, and him and Mason go bonding in the woods which yep. is to say is like is is all of this improvised or is it just no he said just just the star wars section but you know it is cool to see the kids starting to talk like an actualized person like someone who has their own opinions and like you know a lot of people's opinions are actually just a blending of opinions they've seen but having an actual belief about something and talking like that and like ethan Hawke talked about as an actor how crazy it is to have had scenes with this kid at ages like 7, 12, and 15, giving them life advice and it be the same actor was, like, an incredible experience, and I'm sure it was. Yeah, seeing the, like, different trials and tribulations that they're they're discussing, and, like, you know, when he graduates, he's sort of talking to him, like, right, well, now I can give it to you, I can give you the real shit, and, like, you know, oh, women, man, oh, oh, women. 
whereas he doesn't really do that here. You know, he, he gives him that dating advice of ask questions and actually listen to the answers and stuff like that. And, you know, this groundbreaking advice. <laughs> but, yeah, like, seeing them just hang out. And, like, you know, it is nice to see Ethan Hawke on the screen. I enjoy Ethan Hawke as an actor. I don't think he has enough to play with beyond just being a fun, nice dad, which, you know, is something. But I don't think there's enough here for him to sink his teeth into to get him an Academy Award, personally. Oh, I, I mean, again, also he's up against I, J.K. Simmons. I, but remove J.K. Simmons from the equation. I don't think there's enough here. Like, I don't think this is a case of, oh, you're just unlucky you came up against a towering all-time performance. I just, I wouldn't have given him this in any year. Personally. I mean, I would, I would maybe not for this one, but I definitely, he would have had two Academy Awards from me by this point, possibly, for First Reformed and Before Sunset. Sure. But again, I, I don't know whether or not this would be in my top five Ethan Hawke performances. I don't know if I've seen enough Ethan Hawke, but whenever he shows up... In... I think he's just here to inject charisma and leading man sort of energy, like, because... I don't want to disparage anyone in this movie, but it kind of feels like there are only two professional actors in this, and everyone else is of limited experience, isn't they... actually an actor, or this is their only credit, that sort of stuff. I feel like as the movie progresses, they start to tap more into kind of character actors to portray some of the general people around. Yeah. But like, for a long like, time, you're just looking at kids and like some like so-so people, and then Ethan Hawke shows back up, and you're like, oh, okay, an adult. we jump ahead a year and this is where i start to question whether or not Eli coltrane is actually a good actor nope Uh, because like yeah this 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 jump here like we go from 2008 to 2009 and immediately he has like he gets bullied in the school bathroom yeah which feels like something they just have to do because he's got to get bullied at some point everyone gets bullied at some point like Yeah. yeah but then then he goes to meet his like his sister fails to pick him up and he goes to visit his mum at the college and the conversation he has with this girl on the bike like the girl on the bike is doing everything that she can and he is just giving nothing back whatsoever yeah well but then again that sort of feels reflective of life with, with teenage boys and girls where teenage sure. boys have nothing of value to say <laughs> just like every single thing out of his mouth and again I don't know whether or not it's on purpose that they have not mm. be one wording pretty much everything she says or just not very receptive I read it as this is the thing like there's no discernible reason given for the bullying like they call him the F slur and everything but like I read it as like they're jealous that girls like him and girls like him because he's quiet and like just a nice boy who isn't trying to show off and be like a little prick because <laughs> like, i think this girl likes him she's telling him how her friend likes him like all of this sort of stuff but i i assume the kids bully him because he gets attention from girls and, yeah. and he gets but attention from girls because he's not like them <laughs> this, is, this scene i don't think this scene is bad i think this scene does what it's meant to do but it's definitely yeah. the first time in the movie where i cut turn around and kind of go like "Ooh, are we we've entered the phase where he is not a good actor yes <laughs> <laughs> like I, I, I don't know what it is because like, again I do think he improves as the movie starts to shift towards maybe I, things he's interesting in or maybe he's just like I just think I think he becomes passable by the end when... I think I think he's decent as a kid bad as an awkward sort of half preteen, whatever and then like passable as, as a I young think... adult I think my main issue is is he isn't very good when he's up against non-professionals because I think every single scene he has with an adult feels better than when he's just hanging with his friends yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah, and again and again we're heading into the the worst scene in the movie which is literally just (sighs) a lot of of child actors which of these 
which of the like the kids are kids i'll give them a pass the 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 teens the older kids which one is worse the guy that every line he delivers he does a weird little hand thing or that one who shouts at them and then doesn't know how to emotionally wrap up his sentence so kind of almost rewinds himself back to how he was it's the one who the one who isn't related to the other kid is worse. Okay, yeah, like, I agree. The, the but brother, the kid, the but but the brother just doing this little yeah, bro, like little hand gesture every time he says anything. That's kind of annoying as well. But yeah, the one that shouts at them and throws a beer at the one that won't have a beer, and like yeah, he's like you, you lucky that we're hanging with you, you little like oh, yeah. Just... It feels like because obviously Superbad's come out at this point. It feels like they're <laughs> hanging out with. Michael Sarah and Jonah Hill in some ways, except they're not charismatic in the same way that Jonah Hill and Michael Sarah are. I feel they let this go too long, quite frankly. Yeah, oh yeah, the scene that scene goes on far too long. Like um, they needed to try and find the best couple of sentences out of this rather than just letting them go and seeing what happens. Kind of. It's the scene that comes across, and I understand this is how ostensibly boys talk, but it comes across as more misogynistic than anything else in the movie, mm-hmm. and. But it's it's performative misogyny. It's it's what boys do. It's why we have a problem with adult men who are still teenage boys because they were given that safe space to be teenage boys by each other because no guy wants to tell their friend when they're like 14, 15, 16, hey man, you're not being cool right now because that just leads to aggression. So they just carry that forward. So it is a real problem. But yeah, it's it's, just it's not, not nice to see, even if it is vaguely true to life. But yeah, yeah. and yeah, as we said, Olivia's taken up a job teaching. She meets her third husband, yeah. uh, an Iraq War veteran, who again in the first scene comes across as charismatic and knows what yep. he's talking about. And obviously, the movie's making comments on like, "Oh, we were nice to them. We, we treat them <laughs> with respect." And then the moment we left, and they we gave them just... soccer balls, and... <laughs> and everything we did within three days being destroyed. And yeah. obviously, like. This movie is trying to engage with the politics of the time. I think yeah. I I don't know what this movie would do nowadays with the current political climate, but this feels like it's made by the people that thought Obama was great and didn't realize until a little while after. Oh, actually, he killed a fuck ton of people, didn't he? And that's the thing is, it's like you come into this point of view where Bush was bad, Obama is better, and because he's better, he's kind of immune to criticism. Yep. He can string a sentence together. He claims to have social values that are in line with ours. And many the many of them actually are, probably. But yeah, then, but, like, but walking the, the walk. point now where we live in a world where, well, Trump is better than Bush, so maybe Bush wasn't so bad. And it's like, yeah. we can't keep re-evaluating and previous political... Biden's leaders. better than Trump. You have to vote for Biden. It's like, I don't think you do have to vote for Biden, actually. <laughs> the better uh, thing to do would be to break the entire system and allow you to vote for someone who actually had your values. Wouldn't but... it just go vote for Bernie Sanders somehow? Yes. Yeah. I did have the note, why the fuck am I being asked to listen to Jim talk for like three straight minutes, but there's more it's to... It's really trying to be an overarching view of what America was like for this ten-year window. I, I guess. And, yeah. um, and it is a relatively safe 10 year window for them to engage with because they don't have to engage with how awful the Iraq war was because Mason is too young and so instead they put this scene in now to feel timely (laughs) when Mason is old enough to engage with this stuff but yeah the movie is like engaging with it with hindsight at this point which is interesting than some of the stuff it's doing earlier where it seems to be tapping into something that was going on at the time whereas having a conversation about the iraq war in 2009 feels yeah. uh, 
Yeah. <laughs> Less impressive. You also see Mason trying to mac on a college student here. Because it's like a, it's like an open house dinnery type thing for her students. And one of them just wanders into Mason's room and is talking to him about his, his tagging and all of that. And like, I don't know, maybe he's not trying to flirt with her. But it's, it does seem, coming off the back of the scene with them talking about sex, him like, I'll call an older girl, I have to impress her, kind of thing. Whereas later on, his whole deal is, I don't care about impressing anyone. 2010, Mason with the swoopy hair who's Oof. drinking in marijuana. Yeah, kissing in the back of a truck to Kings of Leon. <laughs> I do like the the honesty to his mother about, have you been you been drinking? He's like, a little bit. Have you? Yeah, a little bit. And then like, you know, have you been, you been smoking? He's like, yeah, a little bit. <laughs> She's just like, okay. He's, you know, she does say, like, we'll talk about it in the morning, so maybe he is in trouble, but it does seem like a kind of refreshingly honest handling of this kind of stuff, where he's, yeah. you know. I mean, I, th- I think that's the thing, is, like, obviously, he, like, Mason is lucky enough to have cool, a, a pair of cool parents who are okay with him doing this thing, as long as he's being safe and all these yeah. different things. Like, the fact that he's home by just after midnight. Yeah on his birthday and doesn't seem like he's like stumbling everywhere or in any way impaired it just says like no they've had a bit to drink and they've had a bit of weed and And it would be naive to think that all of these kids are not doing that so i think we don't have time for a parenting podcast but no i mean i I mean my in my head i was going like well i didn't start doing this until i was 15 and he's doing this like the night before his 15th birthday a little bit like oh maybe would i have issues with this yeah that's that's just again every kid is different in terms of like when they start doing this stuff and obviously sometimes if you start early enough it can be a decent thing like yeah in terms of like moderation and understanding you're not going crazy on the eighteenth birthday, which is obviously a big issue yeah. in the UK, been drinking, yeah. um, I assume it's a big issue in America on the twenty first birthday, where when something is legal, you do it too much and Mason doesn't feel like he's that dumb. That college students in America legally aren't allowed to drink, but like <laughs> the pillar of college is fucking frat parties and stuff and red cups. Like Yeah, I mean that that does seem to be the prescient advice is like don't make it a taboo that they're then desperate to get their hands on like it present it to them in a moderate mature way and then they won't be as swayed by it but yeah i don't know but yeah yeah, and then like jim goes for you know they now live with jim it is quite nice like that jim and mason are friendly with each other and they're talking about mason's like photography habit and stuff which will obviously become huge for the final three years but yeah, like it's it's quite nice to see them all be friendly and like you know, all of them being enamoured by the new baby and then like the ex-wife gives the new wife a hug and a kiss. Like all that is is quite pleasant. Yeah, and I do I love this trip in the car. Mm. Like I I think this is one of my favourite scenes in the movie is this entire conversation and maybe Mason's being a bit of a brat about the car conversation, but I do think the fact that he's traded up to a minivan. And the way that he talks about these things and the way that he seems to have grown up, I just really, really love this conversation. All the way down to him presenting Mason with the Black Album, which is something that Ethan Hawke actually made for his daughter that got used in the movie. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so nice. like, this, is, this is something that Ethan Hawke has actually made and they made, like, it and was an idea of, like, using this part of, like, actual Ethan Hawke's the way that he teaches his children about music and stuff like God, that. God, what, what if what if Maya Hawk was here as Samantha? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and like Mason Junior being like 
wounded about the car and at first it kind of seems like he's like disappointed that his cool dad is becoming boring but instead it's oh you promised i was gonna get that car and he's like he sincerely does not remember it and like he's like i'm not gonna fucking give you this car and also like what about samantha she's older than you and all this sort of stuff but and him being like you can sit there and act like there's been a death in the family but you know get over it basically and like it's a it's a best case scenario get over it it's not like a you're being a little shit it's kind of like he's dismissing it but then not being dismissive of him he's it's sort of like a two-hander it's like i'm taking away the car but here's this cd let's all have a fun nice time yeah yeah and again i i just like all this stuff and i think this stuff really works for me in terms of obviously the movies had a very liberal point of view up until this point and i'm not saying like the movie doesn't have uh it doesn't engage with the fact that the step-grandparents give him a bible and a shotgun and stuff like that <laughs> um i don't know i just quite like that the movie is touching on this is a part of people growing up like the religion is still an important part of people's lives and mm-hmm. on his and like, do you want to come to the baptism? For- or like, it's sort of like, could you please come to the baptism? And they're like, yeah, yeah, that's fine. He's like, oh, thank you. Yeah, right. and, like, and then, then you know, they ask him like, will we baptized? And then Ethan Hawke just like, no, just gives him that look. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then that she can hear all of it. Yeah. I wrote Texas in all caps here, but yeah. <laughs> I don't. I just I like when movies do this where movies with a liberal point of view don't disparage people's personal choices. Obviously, like it's a different debate if we're getting into people who just generally view other people as less than them and, and uh-huh. all these different, and all these different actual political debates. But in terms of presenting, like if you have faith, you have faith. I, yeah. I, I have no problem with that. I mean, it's why I like Demi Lindelof is that he is someone who is willing to engage with these kind of themes mm. in ways that feel intelligent whilst also not, coming off that like Rick Gervais like I'm an atheist did you know I'm an atheist all people who believe in God are fucking idiots yeah. kind of point of view um, yeah. <laughs> uh, like, I, I, I don't believe in well I think this is the problem the left have is that like I don't want to attack the other side as much as I just want to like I don't want to disrespect the other side is probably more accurate you know like I don't want to tell someone you're a fucking idiot for believing in God or anything like that. And I think that is a common criticism, is that the left aren't willing enough to be nasty, so the right just win when it comes to these kind of yeah. larger issues. But that's a very different topic of discussion. Very, uh, but yeah, so now we move into Mason Photographer. Yes. Uh, we cut ahead, he's cut his hair, thank God. Yes. Uh, he now has painted nails and an earring. Mm-hmm. Uh, which again, as we mentioned, like this feels like something inside the beating heart of this movie trying to mm. trying to come out. But yeah, um, I mean, he phrases it as like a girl did that during the day, and he's like, "Are you going to take it off?" And he's like, "Yeah, when it comes off." Like that, it comes across as just like Mason doesn't see this as an issue. Like, yeah, and and Jim is like, mm, "I can." I can maybe respect that a girl was interested in you, but I would want you to take that off as soon as she was gone or whatever. Like, you know, that, yeah. that Jim is this alpha, you know, that he just doesn't approve of the earring, the nails, the mumbling. He wants him to be a man's man. Like, you know, when I was a kid, it was cool to, like, have responsibility and move out at 18 and, and like, you know, all this sort of shit. And the scene in the dark room with the teacher where the teacher comes in and is just like, I think... Like, the speech is on the nose, but I do think 
it does work in terms of the fact that like talent doesn't mean anything if you're not willing to apply that talent to yep. achieve things. Pe- like, people can... have a perception that people are just born with a natural aptitude for something and it all just comes easy and it doesn't. Like there are people that, you know, we are interested in things that require, you know, artists don't just fucking just draw perfect art every time. They, there's stuff they hate. There are times they like have a real hate relationship with what they do they have to practice every night like and that's the thing is like mason you have an eye for it you clearly enjoy it you you say you have a passion for it but like i don't think you're actually like working at it hard enough to realize that and like yeah i have kids in here every year that have an eye for it and they end up not taking it anywhere. And do you want to be one of them, basically? Yeah, and it feels like I don't. I don't think the movie's tapping into that like thematic thing of you see on Twitter and go like, who was part of that generation of children who were told they were gifted and talented, and, and then, then just coasted off that, yeah, yeah, yeah and coasted yeah, off yeah. that, and then but because they didn't actually have like any work ethic instilled in them because they were just told you're yep. so good, you're so smart. Yep. By the time they reach the real world, like, guilty. 100% guilty. I think I was a smart kid who went through life as a, you know, teenager in early 20-something, being like, I'm so fucking smart, I'm so fucking educated, I'm a special golden child, and then eventually had my reckoning of like, you know what, I think I am of, like, slightly above average intelligence, but in no way special. Like, I, I wouldn't classify myself as, like, particularly clever or whatever, but, like, yeah. And, like, I had a real motivation problem, and I got bad grades, because I didn't give a shit, because I was like, oh, I'm clever, I don't need to prove it. We'll get into some of this next week, I think, about, <laughs> you know, work ethic, um, because that can come sometimes be like, look, if a kid doesn't want to be, like, a slavishly devoted to an art form he doesn't have to be but mason says he does want to be a great photographer he wants to take pictures and it's like but i think it's the thing of wanting to want versus wanting kind of thing almost where i feel at this stage mason wants to want to be a photographer more than he wants to be a photographer (laughs) we get to meet mason and sheena at this party which kind of starts this this final relationship arc for the movie this actress looks different year (laughs) to year like to the point i was like is that is that Sheena? I knew it was, but like, yeah, she looks real different at the party versus. She also that. feels like someone that I recognise from elsewhere, but yeah. she, I don't think she's done a lot. But she does look like. Yeah. I feel like I've seen you in other things recently. This starts this arc. We get drunk Jim confronting Mason when he comes home from the party, and like he hasn't told anyone where he's been. His sisters come home earlier from that very same party, mm. and, and like Mason just completely disrespects him. Like, yeah, like, he I, just, like it is interesting to see that one from year to year, where Mason like kind of gives him the sort of not that you know the like the cool guy handshake type thing when they say goodbye to each other. It seems like he's like the cool dad, the cool the cool stepdad, and they're like bros together. And then to hear where he's like, I don't respect you as a human being. I think you have bad values, whatever, dude, kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, um, I, I don't know. Obviously, he works at a correctional facility. Mm-hmm. and <laughs> I mean, I think the story here is man struggling to adjust to post-war life, which we have seen play out in yeah, countless the media. The <laughs> movie is doing all these little interesting side stories about these people that they meet and... Yep. I mean, I wish the movie didn't default to while well, he's an alcoholic because <laughs> of it. Uh, as well, I, I don't know if he's as much the alcoholic as it's just because you have the big, the the big sexy alcoholism that like Bill has, where he's hiding liquor and like smashing stuff. I think this is more that like 
sitting in your own home with a beer, depressed kind of. Yeah, like depressed I'm not family earning, man. I'm not kind earning of thing. a lot of money. Like I imagine people who work at a correctional facility and a college lecturer aren't bringing in a hell of a lot of money. No, and like the houses um, are getting, sm- you know, the house gets bigger and then they start getting smaller after the big house, obviously that Bill has paid for. I, I don't get the impression Jim has a alcoholism problem. It's just that I think he has a he's sad and and doesn't have a place in the world or, or doesn't understand his place in the world and just sort of drinks a little bit in the evenings. Yeah. I, to... don't, I don't think it helps the movie, obviously, the two big fights he's got beer in his hands. This is true, this is true. Sitting on his porch, drinking, waiting for the kid to come home, and then, like, giving him shit for mumbling, and... Yeah. I'm glad they stopped short of having yet another domestic incident kind of thing. Yeah, Um, like, like the jump ahead now, Jim is gone. Yes. and, And there's no real mention to him until... Olivia throws off a line about, like, got rid of a couple of husbands and stuff like that. And you might have noticed that Sam's kind of, like, played a smaller role in the recent ones. This mm-hmm. is kind of Sam's last big moment of the movie is when they go to visit... Mason and Sheena go to visit Sam at UT in Austin mm-hmm. for the weekend. Yes. We obviously... We get, like... it. This is a, an interesting one because they start to throw in all kinds of things. Like, you get a FaceTime scene between... Yeah, I, I know Mason that. And FaceTime's a thing now, yeah. <laughs> uh, which, most distracting part about it to me is the fact that it's just a still image of Mason's hand whilst they've, like, superimposed the image on afterwards because, obviously, mm-hmm. it's a complete ball like to film yep. a phone. You can't film screens. Every screen <laughs> you've ever seen on screen is, is off. <laughs> The first of Mason's philosophizing, where he's talking about like deleting his Facebook page, <laughs> yes. as they drive to UT. Which again, like we come into, he grows into just a wanky philosopher. Who uh-huh. I think I think a recurring meme for this movie is that like Mason is the kind of person who'd be pulled into the alt right in the next. Couple of years. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Just the way that he talks, or QAnon, or something like that. Yeah, yeah, and like you know, criticizing her for being on her phone so much he does dunk on himself a little bit where he's like and you you're not listening to my like self-important rant and obviously he lies to his mother about the sleeping arrangement and she's like is this person a real person he's like yep <laughs> so, uh, okay dude sam's roommate catching them in bed together i will say as someone who does enjoy being in austin seeing them yeah. just kind of wandering drifting around drifting about austin in the middle of the night yeah yeah it's very, very cool. Nice. Very nice. I want some. I want some case after watching. Like, and they they're kind of a very cute-ish couple, but yeah, Samantha seems to have pieced out on trying to act. I think in the last. Yeah, they get that one scene where they're talking about like, uh, is it majors and like what he's doing and mm. just like general college stuff, and that's the last and kind of conversation. That talking she to Sheena about oh, being surrounded by so many cute boys, I love college or whatever. Or something. Yeah, okay. and then yeah, our final big jump ahead where Mason and Sheena have broken up. He deserves it. He does deserve it. She's uh, very... she seems a nice young girl. He seems like a mopey little bitch. Like you know, she makes that line of like you know, you just don't enjoy anything. You know that you're. Just... He's kind of a downer. You know, and that yeah. like he has these kind of accusatory, kind of moments and like this weird thing of like they've they've already broken up. They were going to go to the prom because her boyfriend who's older is out of town. He doesn't like that people's spread that as that's definitely happening i guess they'd previously made plans to go to prom like months earlier so they still had the stuff and they'd agreed maybe we'll go together and then yeah i becoming a less likable person (laughs) 
I yeah, would say. I mean, like, he wins the second prize at the photography contest. He gets a scholarship to go to a college of his choice, yep. um, although he's not going to UT anymore, despite that being the plan that they had yeah. a year ago. Classic. Um, <laughs> yeah, and then just a nice post-graduation party. Hmm. With everyone being there. And again, I like these scenes of everyone showing up and stuff like that. Like, Yeah, that family they stayed with coming back. Um, yeah, we haven't touched on it, but the uh, the guy who is Mason's boss at the, the <laughs> restaurant that he works at. <laughs> I've got again, you pegged was... for fry cook. It's like, oh my god, do you really? <laughs> um, yeah, which again is one of those, like, someone who is trying to instill a good work ethic into yeah. him. It um, does. It does feel a little bit like he's overstepping his bounds to like the speeches are coming from his parents, and then he's like, "Well, I'll I'll chip in here." It's his third parent. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, and it's just like it's the kind of thing where like I know I would have been like, yeah. "Come on, we've come back for five seconds." I know it's busy outside, but everyone needs a breather for five seconds mm-hmm. when they're when they're working these kind of like fast paced uh, yeah. hospitality. Or retail jobs or whatever. Yeah, and he's got his casual like little flirtation ship with his co-worker April or whatever. I, I yeah. think that's her name, but yeah, yeah. But yeah, and then the 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 drunkle. Um <laughs> drunkle with the, the comment about being straight. But yeah. I mean again, I think I do really like the conversation that Mason Senior and Olivia have in this scene. It's like, wild to me how few scenes they deployed these two in together. Yeah. And even then, one of the scenes that they have together is mostly through a window where you can't see the dialogue between the two of them. Yeah, as a drop-off, a pick-up, and then this. And it's like, oh, hey, I would have liked to have seen these two act together a bit more than I have, but I understand logistically why that might have been difficult. But yeah, it's just it's just a nice conversation where like he congratulates Liv on like raising the kids and how... Yeah, like, like you know, you, you did a good job with Mason, and she's like, I didn't think I'd hear you say that. And he's like, yeah, no, it's just, <laughs> I mean it. Like, and just... I, I I don't want to say it's rubbing salt in the wound, but like the way that he talks about how she's losing her two kids and she hasn't found anything to replace them with. Like she's planning on selling the house to move to a smaller apartment. She's yeah. lost two long term partners. She's losing two kids, and then to have her ex husband who walked out on her to go spend a year and a half in Alaska come back in and have yeah. the perfect wife and a small child who he's going to get to spend the next. 15, 16 years of his life with. And him actually saying the phrase, I've got 15 years until I'll have an empty nest. It's like, that is like loaded gender language, whether you intend it to be or not, or, you know, heteronormative, traditional gender loaded yeah, language. Yeah. Um, I mean, but realistically, I think we bo- we're both aware that, like, once these kids have moved home, maybe they'll spend a couple of years coming back home because they'll have no money, could no job prospects because that's what well, the job market was like. So, well, yes. Samantha even like, how am I supposed to do laundry? And stuff like that. So what do you feel about the conversation that Mason Jr. and Mason Senior have? I would have lost the- this entire scene, but I, I guess it's fine. Like, It starts to sway Mason Senior slightly back towards minor douchebaggery as he's sort of being like, yeah, you know, women, they're always looking to trade up and, and that kind of stuff. I, but... it's, yeah, it's hard to get a pin on whether or not it is this casual misogyny or if it is kind of this is what dads think they have to say to their children to kind of get mm. them out of this funk. Either way, casual misogyny is at play there, but just the way that he's like talking about Sheena and how... Oh, I never liked her. She's too square for you. And yeah. I, I wasn't surprised when she went off with some lacrosse player and also like, oh, you should go 
you have to go start a band or be good at something and then they'll be all over you they'll be lining up and not a huge fan of that i think it's a little bit over long i understand they wanted to give ethan Hawke one last big scene with him so but it's just a shame that in comparison to patricia arquette's final scene mm-hmm. it's so much longer because like, obviously patricia arquette's been yeah. in the movie longer but patricia arquette just gets this like we get the scene in the restaurant we've already touched on yeah which the... i think is good with the kids but bad with the yeah the white savior oh you poor hispanic manual laborer you should be plucked out of this and put into the white edu- academic <laughs> world and then yeah and everything will be good for you if we could do that yeah Um, just go to night school just just literally spend every waking minute doing a job (laughs) and learning yeah but then we get the breakdown when mason is going and like his hesitance to take a photo with him and she's just like i've got nothing like what's my life meant and it's so i thought i would have more time yeah Yeah. and it's like she does have more time she's got 40 years left but i can see why her life up to this point and the fact that her two kids are going don't seem to be looking back and i think that's why samantha's arc kind of works is that samantha kind of shuffling out of the movie and becoming quieter and quieter shows that she's she's far more willing to just escape from mm-hmm. her mother she's disengaged with her kind of thing yeah um which, I... which makes this land more in terms of the way that olivia breaks yeah. down i do think that like one of olivia's earlier scenes is saying i don't get to just go to the movies i don't get to just do this and that i went from being someone's daughter to someone's mother i think that kind of works with this final breakdown is that like that's been true of her you know she never got that period and she's starting at whatever age she's supposed to be kind of thing it's like yeah, yeah that they, is... had, they, they had the kids at what 23 years old so yeah so it's not like she had a life and now she has to rediscover that life it's that she kind of never had a life of her own now it's like right off you go try and adapt to this quite empty life where you don't have a partner and your kids have both left and she talked about how she wanted to like do some writing and get published or whatever but like you know who knows how that's all going to turn out for her but for sure see why she got the oscar nomination and the oscar win because she is she's doing great work here i just on some level it maybe bothers me that like she has to have this life of pain and tragedy and he gets to just improve and be nice and charismatic but again as i said this may be a deliberate comment on how she has had to be the one that is the constant and the responsible one and she has put in this work and it has come at her personal expense while he has not been doing any of that yeah i think it's so important to kind of touch on the fact that probably the two biggest weaknesses of the movie are a kind of a gender blind spot and a race blind spot like Mm. obviously calling it boyhood makes it seem universal but this is not the life of many (laughs) many african-american children in america and i think that was a big point of contention like there are people of color in this movie but almost none of them are in prominent positions Mm. at all and that is something that has come up frequently in regards to this movie it is just so overwhelmingly white yes and focused on the white experience it is very white yes (laughs) it just that it just cannot cease to it cannot be a universal story because of that the fact it's trying to be a universal story from its title is a negative thing like the original title was going to be 12 years but they had to retitle it because of 12 years a slave i Mm -hmm. think 12 years probably gets at what the movie's trying to do a little bit better than the overarching universal title that it has but that's that is a, a problem 
for marketing departments more than anything. Yes. Um, Mason drives across Texas, uh, which looks gorgeous, mm-hmm. uh, gets to his university, where this is the scene where it feels like the movie should have ended by this point. Really. It maybe should have ended with them in the in the hall just making awkward conversation together or whatever. Yeah, rather I... than going out on their hiking trip. And, like, what is going on here with, like... So, like, they're meeting for the first time as roommates. They've been matched by this survey that has an alleged 100% success rate or whatever. This dude has a girlfriend, potentially from... You know, they both chose the same college. And then she has a best friend who's also at the college and also knows the boyfriend really well. Like, maybe it's just, like, all three of them knew each other from before. But I, just... don't think, I don't think she knows him. I think she's just making conversations. The comment of, like, oh, he can be so extreme. Yeah, is but just that like... makes it sound quite familiar. But It I does, know. but I think it is just, like, trying to make conversation and they've only known this person for a few hours. Like, mm. I, But like... then she's the best friend of the girlfriend, so... I think they're just roommates together. So oh, I think they're they roommates. Also, Sorry, they've okay. also been talking for okay. a couple of ones beforehand. I don't know. It is yeah, weirdly paced. And then he does some some drugs and then they go <laughs> wander off into the desert and... yeah like you know good for them for not going to the mixer and like going off and doing this but like good thing you ended up liking each other because imagine if they went on this trip and he's like i fucking can't stand you <laughs> like, and i've yeah, missed I... out on the opportunity to meet other people yeah this goes on for a weirdly long time and it has one of those wanky indie endings that i do so adore not um i did like the ending uh <laughs> i don't know i like the way that they just can't look at each other and then the well music yeah 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 fine fine do that scene somewhere but like to have it come down to like oh she shares his kind of people don't live in the moment or or moments sees people people don't see his moments like i don't know after everything that has happened for that to be the final line feels a bit like ugh. love it that is boyhood that is boyhood. Um, Not 12 years long in record, but close to. Well, it's a relentlessly <laughs> long film. So, Like, isolated moments here and there I enjoy. I enjoy the premise. I don't enjoy the final product. Most of the acting isn't great. I think it needed to be pulled together by, like, a this kid is a fucking revelation acting performance. And there's no... I can't hold that against them because they can't have known how good he would end up being or not being. I'm just trying to think if there's anyone who would have been that age... I mean, it's impossible. Like, even if you'd gotten one of the Fannings or something, like, I'm just, I'm you just couldn't have known in 2002 or whenever they started filming or 2001 if they would continue to be a good actor, even if they got a powerhouse actor or actress. Or, yeah. But, it's, yeah, I... It is hard. I just, again, I think Lick Later has a fascinating command over time. Uh, like, we haven't touched on it, but, like, the only other movie that we probably would have covered of his from this decade would have been Before Midnight, but... That feels like such a, a weird move on us to do to cover the third Just part in a trilogy. Yeah. He he made I think so far of the people we've done in this decade, I know Soderbergh when we did volume one had a ridiculously large number of, of credits in that decade, but you know, he has Bernie before midnight, everybody wants some, last flag flying, where'd you go, Bernadette? And this yeah. obviously. So that, I, that's by far the most projects a director has done in this decade. And as I said, like he's very hit or miss. Like mm. Last Flag Flying is aggressively fine. I do think his three <laughs> movie stretch of Before Midnight Boyhood and Everybody Wants Some is absolutely fantastic. But yeah. like Wedgwood Bird is I was really interested in seeing Everybody Wants Some. I, I have cooled on that now that I've seen this again. Because that's the thing. I this isn't the first time I've seen Boyhood. 
I liked it less this time than I did the first time, which is rare because that's normally the exact opposite, where like I've had time to grow as a person and, and appreciate things or whatever, but I actually found this less enjoyable on a second watch than I did a first. But I think this is the fourth time I've seen it. Yeah. Oh god, that's twelve hours of your life then. <laughs> yeah, but it's a movie that I've got number two on my decade list, so Insane. Polite apologies for shitting on something you love. Um I thought we'd have the exact same thing last week with Chef. I li- I wanna like things. I I, I like want things. to like things. I don't I'm not going I'm... to force myself to if I don't though. <laughs> I I don't dislike any movie that we have on our list, even okay. the ones that like were so much higher on than me. Yeah, I think it is a shame we've had to lose Birdman out of this uh, for the direct comparison. But yeah, th- that would have been. It was a, a very bloated twenty fourteen. Uh, one, two, three, four. That would have been five twenty fourteen movies, and to say twenty fourteen is the best year for movies ever would be an exaggeration. But I wasn't willing to give up, Chef. Whiplash next Chef week. Chef stays. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Chef has to be. Chef is, like, why I wanted to do this po- Well, not why I wanted to do the <laughs> podcast, but, like, part of the mission statement being favourites rather than, best right, we think it. we've scientifically proven the best movies, in which case oh, yeah. it- we would have to fucking have a knockout drag out to even get Boyhood on here. Yeah, it was important to me to do something like Chef. Um, Whiplash was an obvious lock for this and that will be next week but yeah to like grand budapest is another strong personal favorite and you know i know how strongly you felt about boyhood and everything so yeah i was willing to let birdman go but in some ways in, that would have been an interesting uh two-part battle of a podcast it would it would have been I'm i sure. think i would be more open to it if i don't like no, it's I don't fine. know it's what fine. could I don't know what could have won in 2014, but like Birdman is just a, a movie that I just <laughs> soured on more and One more day, as time goes on. When we finish this, we will go back through and do some bonus episodes. We'll do Mad Max probably, and some alternate, you know, some second movies by people who, you know, we have the rule about one per director. Like I would have really loved to have done Gone Girl, but which again, 2014, exactly. Which makes it seem like 2014 is the best year for movies ever. Yeah, yeah, but. In fact, there's an argument for us to have Interstellar, Birdman, and Gone Girl on this list. (laughs) Like, we would have had seven movies from this one year, and I'm still going to come away from it and go, yeah, but my two favourite movies of 2014 were always Whiplash and Boyhood. Hmm. Well, next week we can talk about Whiplash. Very excited. Very, very excited. I'm excited to talk about Whiplash too. I don't think I've seen it since the cinema. Interesting. Always fun. Right, well, Matthew, Yes. Uh, we've said there are going to be 2014 movies, mm-hmm. but will there be movies after 2014? Uh, there will be one movie a year. They will be of different lengths. That's, that's literally true. And I won't like them, but you will. Bye, everyone. Bye. <laughs>